Well, um, we're in First John, so if you'd like to turn there. We are, are working our way through this, and um, the title of this series is Assurance, and that's because um, there has been a group that has left, best we can tell from the text, that a group of the believers, uh, people who regarded themselves as part of the community, maybe some of the more gifted or the more... Uh, talented people, it's hard to tell, but they, some group of individuals left this congregation, this early congregation, because they had found a better way. They had some false perspectives, and they were distorting the gospel, and they left the church. They left that early community. And so now John is writing this community to assure them that they're okay. You aren't the ones that are in trouble because these sharp people left, they're the ones that are in trouble because they've left the truth. And so John is working his way through topic by topic to help them understand, to assure them, you're okay, you're the, you're the ones who are in Jesus, you're going to be all right, you don't need to worry. And so from the things that John says, we kind of can reverse understand what these false teachers were saying, because John is refuting them through the message of the truth. And so some of the assurances that John gives are maybe just assurances straight up for them, but some of them, and I think most of them, might be refuting false perspectives that these people who were leaving were saying. You understand? And so in particular, one of them was that this group seemed to think that they had a special relationship, something special, that they had an insight or some kind of... Um, this sounds a lot like there was an early problem in the church called Gnosticism where there was this idea that if you knew the secrets about God, then you could really get some things figured out. And not everybody gets it. Only us per, uh, elitist type people understand this. And so if you pay enough attention to us and follow our teaching, then we'll give you the secret knowledge and this kind of special relationship. And John reminds them, no, 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 no. You guys are already special because you're in Jesus. Jesus has saved you and he's given you of his Holy Spirit. There's nothing more special than that. And just because somebody manifests some experience does not mean your experience is invalid or your lack of experience is invalid because what's really valid is that you're in Jesus and Jesus gives you a spirit straight up. There's nothing else to it. It's not a fancy only for a few special elite people. Okay, so that was the first thing that we dealt with. Another thing that they did was they attacked the person of Jesus. They denied that he came in the flesh or that he was God. And so both of those are totally true, but they seem to be in conflict for us as human beings. They're a mystery that we can't resolve because God, Jesus is a unique person. He is one person with two natures. He has the divine nature and he has the human nature. He's 100% a human being. He really was flesh. He really was a person. He really was a human being person. But he's also God's son. He really is God. He's part of the Trinity. He's, he's a member. He's eternal. And so uh, this mystery of Jesus is really important. And whenever we fall one way or the other in that mystery, if we think he's only a man and not God, we're in big trouble. If we think he's only God and not a man, He's, we're really in trouble. And so John corrects that and talks about the person of Jesus. And then he talks about the nature of sin, and then he talks about the work that Jesus did, and the works of us or of this Jesus in us, so the work that Jesus did for us, but then all the work that Jesus does in us, 
And then he talks a little bit more about eternal life. And so today, we're going to be talking about the nature of sin. What's the big deal about the sin? How do, why does it matter? How could this be such a, a big deal that we could get in trouble with? And that is the purpose of today's conversation. So that's what I hope to focus on today. Again, looking at the assurances in the book of 1 John about the nature of sin. But let me also say a few things um, uh, in preference to that. We, we, um, we struggle sometimes in our, in our day and age, in our, in our world, with the idea of sin as being very important. And I, I was uh, thinking again through the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Do you remember that story? Jesus is um, traveling through Samaria. God led him to do that. And the disciples go into the town to buy food. And so Jesus is by himself. And this woman comes out to the well. And um, Jesus asks her for water. And when he does that, he already breaks two or three really significant barriers. He's a Jew speaking to a Samaritan. who was There was a racial conflict. The, the Jews, by and large, regarded Samaritans as half-breeds, less than them, and all that. He was a man talking to a woman. And so that was also unusual. And so there's uh, some barriers Jesus is breaking down. And he said, would you give me a drink of water? And uh, she answers, says, yeah, I'm a Samaritan woman. You talk to me. And you know, so she understands that he's, he's broken this barrier. Maybe she's drawing the water during this conversation. And these, then Jesus says, if you knew who it was that asked you for water, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And so she says, oh, wow, that sounds really good, or you know, my version. You know, give me this water that I won't have to come this well anymore. And so if we were doing a gospel conversation experience, here the leaves represent gospel conversations, Jesus has started a gospel conversation with this woman at the well. And he says, if you knew who, I, if you knew who it was who asked you, you would ask him for living water. And she's already all in. She says, give me some of this water and I want, I, so I don't have to come back to the well. And I think that most of us in our culture today, because of the way our, our, our country, our, our, the unbelievers in our world are oriented today, we would say, oh wow, good sell, right? Jesus sold it. He's, he's closed the deal. This is, tell her about, she can have, all of her eternal life now, and she's going to be okay. I mean, this we would say Jesus did a good job. But do you know what Jesus does next? He messes it all up, right? He's got this really good pitch going, and he says to her, go get your husband, right? He won't give her living water until she deals with the sin in her life. You understand? Go get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you're telling the truth, actually. And God's spirit illuminates Jesus, gives him information here. And Jesus says, you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And then she goes and tells everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. So it's important for us, it's important for Jesus, it's important for us to realize that we have to deal with the sin issue as part of the gospel conversation. There is no gospel conversation without acknowledging and addressing the sin problem. Right? And So what is the sin problem? Well, again, let me give us some history here. 
the sin problem is what happened in the garden, right? God created the heavens and the earth, and he, he created everything good. He created the man and woman. He created everything perfect that was all good. And so Adam and Eve were living in the garden, and they did not have a sin nature. They were innocent. They had no uh, inkling to want to do wrong, and yet there was a prohibition, a certain command. God says, do not take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we all know the story how Satan came and Satan tempted them. And in this condition where they did not necessarily have to sin, they were free to not sin. They were neutral. They didn't have a sinful nature yet. They were still not sinful. In that situation, they made the decision to decide for themselves what was right and not trust God. And so they chose to take the fruit and they rebelled against God and they became sinners. And God says, on the day you take, you'll die. And what happened is they spiritually died. They were separated from God and Adam and Eve were cast into the sinful nature. So from now on, anybody... Uh, Adam and Eve, and anybody born of Adam and Eve, every human being, is now in a new place. We are in a place where Jesus says we're dead in our sins and we're slaves to our sins. We cannot not sin. We're bondage. We're slaves to sin. Paul says the same thing. So Adam and Eve were free to not sin or free to sin, and they chose and sinned. Well, that happened. But now as his descendants as their descendants, we are no longer free to not sin. There is no baby born, no matter how cute and sweet they are, there's no baby that's not born a full-blown, 100% raving sinner. And there's no one in this room today who's not a sinner. We choose to go our own way. We don't believe that God's ways are the best, and we like our personal Lust. We're selfish. We like our desires and we want to fulfill them. So we are bondage and trapped in sin. You understand? So Adam and Eve were free to not sin, but we are not. We are obligated by our nature. We cannot stop ourselves from sinning. There's nothing you can do to fix our sin problem. That's why Jesus talked to the woman at the well. You've got to deal with that. All right. Jesus comes on the scene and he comes in as a human being born into the sinful world without a sin nature. So Jesus is free not to sin, right? He doesn't have to sin because he's got God as his father. He doesn't have Adam as his father, and so he's not got the sin nature. But he is a human being, and he's, at least in concept, he's free to sin. Now, we know God would never do so, but Jesus truly, as a man, experienced all the temptations of sin. Steve has been talking about the temptation in the book of Mark last week. And so we are, we are, Jesus is going to face Satan again, just like Adam and Eve did. And Jesus, Jesus is, did you know, I was thinking, did God ever give grace to Jesus? I would say no. Jesus earned his salvation, Right? Because Jesus lived a perfect life. There is one person whose works actually earned them righteousness. And that is Jesus. Because he lives a totally perfect righteous life and never ever violates God. God never has to forgive Jesus. God never has to give grace to Jesus in the sense of a saving grace. Jesus is never condemned. 
because he never ever sins. So Jesus' life is amazing. He's totally perfect. And we should be, if we understand the Bible, we should be on the edge of our seats in fear when we read about the temptation because what if Jesus does bow down and worship Satan? What if he does turn the stone into bread without depending on God? What if he, if he does, it's all over. It's ruined. But Jesus does not sin. And he stands perfect. And he stands totally righteous. And he earned it. He was totally. It wasn't just a gift. He was righteous. He was perfectly holy. Amen? What a Savior. And so Jesus dies on the cross and pays the penalty for our sin. And God makes it possible that if we have faith in him that we can be exchanged and all of our sins are put on his account which he pays in full with his death and all of his righteousness is put on our account so that we're free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and so we can be saved. And so now a believer enters a new kind of life that's different than the unbeliever. And that is that we are saved and our sins are forgiven. There's no more penalty for sin. There is no punishment for us. We are forgiven, but we also have been freed from the power of sin. We don't have to sin anymore. Not the same way we did before. Now we still will sin. We still are, we, it's, so, it's so far to go, we'll never be perfect here in this life. But, but we can make progress. We have power over sin and we are free from the penalty of sin. So Adam and Eve were free not to sin, but they did. Then after that we are not free not to sin, we are enslaved to sin. But in Christ, we have this both and. We're free to not sin because Jesus' life is in us, but we're still in the sin nature. And so that's what the Christian life is, is conflict, 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 right? We're fighting our sin nature and yielding to God and still struggling. So that's the fight. But there's one more day coming. This is best all. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to make all things new, and he's going to finish the work of making us perfect and in glory, I will be free not to sin, and I'll never be able to sin. So I'll even be better off than Adam and Eve were. They were at least free to sin. And in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth, I will not be free to sin. I won't have that option, and I won't want to sin, and I'll never have a sin nature again. So that'll be pretty awesome. That'll be perfect. I can't wait till the day where I can't sin anymore. You too? So that's the context I want us to understand the whole history of sin. And that's why we have to deal with sin. And if God cares so much about us that he would send Jesus, and Jesus would live a perfect life for us and die for us in order to pay the penalty for our sin, if we do not understand how important God's perspective of sin is, then we're going to miss the boat. And so that's why we need to understand these things and be reassured. How do you know where you stand with sin? And can you be assured that you're okay? Are you in Christ? So that's a long introduction. And let me just uh, illustrate a little bit by reading this passage from 1 John. That Look in this. This is a little poem section in chapter 2 of 1 John. And let me uh, just point out, or just notice, how sin is referenced. He says, John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, he says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Praise God. It says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know have known him who is from the beginning. And I am writing to you young people because you have overcome the evil one. And then he repeats it again with some variations. I write to you dear children because you know the father. 
I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you young people because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So again, the emphasis of being forgiven of sins and then overcoming the evil one. So let's pray and ask God as we study the topic of sin in 1 John. Father in heaven, we do ask you for your grace. Thank you so much for sending the Lord Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, to make it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. Forgive us for those times when we forget that our sins have been forgiven and that we walk in newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, time is a rushing by. And, but I'm giving you my phone number if you want to text me a question during the message, and I'll try to address them at the end. So the first point I want you to understand is that there is no darkness in God. In all of this sin thing, it's important for us to understand that God himself does not participate in sin. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is a message you have heard, or we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So if you know John's metaphors, God, light, and darkness, sin, life, all those things, God is light. There is no darkness. Do not think that in all this dynamic that God himself ever does wrong. Look at this verse again. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Who's the one that appeared? Jesus and in him is no sin, right? So Jesus is perfectly sinless. So I want you to understand that. So that's the first point. The second point about sin is do not claim to have no sin. So this seems to be one of the things that these false teachers claimed is that you could be in a place where you had no sin. Now I don't know on what basis you could claim that. How could a person say that there was no, I was not a sinner anymore? Or I'm not, I have no sin in me right now. How could I say that? I think the only way I could say that would be either I don't understand what sin is, right? So I've redefined sin as garbage or junk or something like that, or something that only my body does but not my spirit, right? So I'd have to, de- or I'd have to redefine who I am. Somehow I'm, I'm two-part person. I'm a, the spirit part is the part that is not sinful and the body doesn't matter, something like that. Or else I have to come up with some other view of how great I am, that I have somehow overcome sin in this life. And so it's really important, according to John, to not claim that we have no sin. Look at these things he says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So that's pretty clear. Chapter 1, verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Um, So do not claim to have no sin because if you do, you're deceiving yourselves. You're wrong. The truth is not in you. The word is not in you. And we make God out to be a liar. So do not say, hey, I've reached sinless perfection. Or do not tell somebody that you can reach sinless perfection. It's not going to happen in this life. It's going to happen in the next. So if if we think we don't sin, we're in trouble, right? Okay. The third thing I want us to understand confess our sins. Now the word confess means to agree with or to acknowledge it as real. So it's to have the same word as. So 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins 
and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the first thing I want us to understand is that Jesus, God, is faithful to forgive us our sins. He won't fail to do so. He will always do so. Jesus is a perfect high priest. He's up in heaven. He's paid the penalty for our sins. And if we confess, if we agree with God, say, God, I, I, was, I did the wrong thing. I was selfish. I, I was proud. I pursued my own interest again. Would you please forgive me? He will forgive. He's faithful to do that. But the other thing that's exciting to me is that he's justified. He's not breaking the law. He's not, he's not twisting the rules to forgive us. It's not just, oh, okay, it doesn't matter. You know, we have this thing at home, um, you know, there's two different kinds of parents. It's kind of a family joke, but we have two kinds of parents. There's the one parent that say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't have that extra cookie. No, you can't, you know, stay up late or whatever. And then there's the other parent that says, okay. <laughs> That's me, actually, by the way. If, if so just ask dad, he'll say, okay, whatever you want. Right? Is that how Jesus says, hey, Jesus, I'm sorry I stole money from the bank. Okay, you know, no big deal. No, Jesus is justified to forgive us. And why is he justified? He knows personally why he's justified. Because he paid the penalty for it all, eternally. He's, he's an infinite person. And he experienced separation from the Father. He knows an eternal component of hell that I'll never have to experience because I'm in Christ. So he's justified. All right, look at this one. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we can confess our sins and be confident because Jesus is an advocate. He's the righteous one and he's, paid the price for us. Okay, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that's how Jesus can be just. All right, moving right along then. So confess our sins. He's faithful to forgive us, and he's just to forgive us. So those are really good things to know. So, first one was, in God there's no darkness at all, right? Second one is, do not say that you have no sin. The third one is, you need to confess your sins. So the fourth one is, do not keep on sinning. So we're not supposed to say we have no sin, but the fact that we are still sinful is not in and of itself an excuse or a reason to just give up and just do whatever we want. We're supposed to not keep on sinning. Look at how John says this in a few places. Chapter 3 Verse 4 and 6, he says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, that sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared, that would be Jesus, right? He appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. So Jesus came to take away our sins. And if you live in Jesus, you won't keep on sinning. He says, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. So he's saying it two different ways, but he's saying the same thing, right? No one who lives in Jesus keeps on sinning, and if you do keep on sinning, or no one who continues to sin, if you do that, if you continue to sin over and over, then you have neither seen Jesus or known Jesus. You haven't caught on to the thing. 
So this continuing in sin is not an option. Look at this one. Those, are, um, those who are born of God will not continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And so you might think that the reason that I won't continue in sin is because, oh, I'm supposed to not sin anymore, as if it depends all on me. But what John is pointing out here is it's not going to depend just on you. It's going to depend on what Jesus is doing for you, what God has done for you. Look what this says. Those who are born of God will not continue to sin. What does born of God mean? You must be born again, Jesus told Nicodemus. If you're part of God, look at it, because God's seed remains in you, if God saves you, if you're born again, something is different about you. God is making a difference. And because of that, you cannot go on sinning. God will function in your life to purge you from sin, to move you in a direction to become more and more like Jesus. Look at this one, chapter 5. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. So if you're, we know that if God has really saved you, if you're born again, you won't continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. So the one would be Jesus. Jesus keeps us safe, and the evil one cannot harm us. And so the reason that I can be confident that I will be victorious over sin is not because I'm so strong-willed or I'm such a good guy or I've really made the right decisions. It's because the Holy One, Jesus, lives inside me and keeps me safe. And He will change me. He will make me different by His grace. So it's really important for us to understand that we don't continue in sin. We do not, do not keep on sinning. He takes away our sins. Jesus pays the penalty. The power is gone. They sin, I do not have to be a slave to sin like I did before Jesus came in my life. But God's seed remains. His influence remains. He's making a difference in my heart. And we are born of God. And these things make us different. What does it mean to continue in sin? Try to give me an example here. Because there's a problem... I. You could take this as you would never do the same sin twice. And I, I would have to say from my own personal experience, I've done the same sin twice. Millions. <laughs> right? We struggle with the same sin. Even in areas of our life where we, we, we have, have obtained a measure of victory and we've been victorious for years and years, another temptation can come and we know that we're susceptible and we could fall into that same sin pattern again, right? So you, you, it's easy to do. So let's take an example of um, stealing uh, something from your neighbor. Say your neighbor has an uh, apple tree and you like apples and your neighbor depends on those apples for his income. It's not just for decoration. And so you like apples too. And so in the night, you get up at 2.30 and you go and steal an apple from your neighbor's tree. That's sinful. And then maybe you feel bad about it and, and you, um, you know, confess it before God and you, you get a stomachache even you know, from your guilt and you don't ever eat apples for a while. You, hold, you, know, you punish yourself. These are all foolish things. But, and maybe you, but the point is, is that you repent of that sin and then a couple weeks later, 
you're really hungry, you wake up in the night again, and the apples are even better this time, and, and you go and steal an apple again, right? So that's a repeated pattern, right? That is a kind of life that we often live. We, we have a temptation, we often overcome it, but every once in a while we're just so weak and it, we, it sounds so good, we give in to the lust of the flesh. Or we're, con, we're curious, wow, I wonder if the apple tastes different now that it's red instead of when it was green. And so we'll use the excuse of curiosity to defend our, our sinful actions. You can see how this would apply to just about any repeated sin, right? That's a sin habit. And that's a problem we could struggle with for years. And you might be, uh, you know, 25 years later, you might still wake up in the night and say, man, I wish I could have a nap, but I'm not going to do it. And I, I'm going to... And so Jesus will work in your life to help you overcome stealing apples. You understand? But that's different than saying, you know, I, uh, I want those apples. And I don't really care what Jesus says anyway. He died for me. I'm, I'm free. I, God's grace covers everything. He's going to forgive me. He's faithful and just. He's justified to forgive me. So I'm going to just go, it doesn't hurt the neighbor that bad. Um, he can afford it. I'm going to get, I'm only going to do one apple a day. I'm not going to do all, I'm not just taking as many apples as I could, or I'm not taking as many apples as the other guys down the street. I'm going to just get one a day, only in the fall during the apple season. I'll, I'll take, I'll fast the rest of the night. I'll fast, I'll even go without any apples at all the other six months of the year, just to really make, it's, I'll, I'll just, I've got it in boundaries. I know I'm, got, I'm not going too far. I'm keeping it right inside this little box. I'm only going to take one apple a day. But, I, but frankly, I don't really care what Jesus says about it, and I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I'm a human, I'm a, I need apples. They taste good. I'm a human being after all anyway. I can't really stop it. And so I'm going to continue in the sin, and I don't need to confess it, I don't care. You see the difference? The difference is whether I'm confessing about the sin of stealing apples. Because confessing is, re, is viewing it, remember what it means? It's saying the same thing. Did Jesus' perspective on stealing apples change in my two stories? No. God views it the same way. Sin is sin against his character. What changed was my perspective that I'm saying it's not a big deal. I don't care. I'm giving up. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm giving I'm, I don't care what Jesus says, I'm going to just go for it. I don't even know how you could dare do that. I, but I, I wonder if I do. I wonder how many sins in my life that I excuse as, oh, it's just the way it's going to be. And uh, that, that's one of the reasons I would be especially afraid to say I'm, being all sin I'm not a sinner anymore because I don't even know some of the things I'm still doing. I, I need to mature spiritually to recognize those. But the attitude of saying, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do it anyway. Or to say, Jesus is going to forgive me anyway, it doesn't matter, I don't care. And to not even agree with God that it's a sin. That, friends, is what it means to continue in sin. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. As a matter of fact, I would conclude from 1 John 
and from other texts like Hebrews 6 and 10 and other parts in the Bible that if a person really can go there and say, it doesn't matter, I get to do what I want, but I'm still saved, I still get the fire insurance, but I can do whatever I want. If that's really in somebody's heart, I would, I would say that the scriptures would warn you, you're not a believer. You're not in. Because the text we just read, you cannot continue in sin. Anyone who continues in sin, anyone who perceives it as okay and does not repent, does not agree with God about what it is, is not in him or living in him. You can't believe in Jesus. You can't pray and trust Jesus in your heart and see what he did for you on the cross and still disagree with him about sin and think it's okay and you can do anything you want to do. This is why certain patterns can be indicators that we're not believers. If we just give in to sin and steal apples all the time, you're not, you're not God's seed's not in you. Now, it might be hard to tell right in the middle, right? Because I, I can assure you that there have been times in my life where I would repeat sins and, in an unrepentant manner and maybe in a rebellious tone. But, man, during the, I remember looking back, I would say, man, I, well, there was conviction and conflict. Like David, remember David when he sinned with Bathsheba, how he says, my bones were grinding up inside of me. I was the heaviness of my sin. David was never free. He continued in a sin for a long time, but when he finally was confronted again publicly, he recognized it and he confessed and said, against you and you only have I sinned and I've done what's evil in your eyes. He fully agreed with God and he understood and he experienced and, and accepted the consequences for his sin. So you could look at David and say, there's a guy who's continuing in sin. He can't be in God. But by the end of the story, he did repent. And so we don't know where in a particular chapter, but if you're in a spot in your life where you're not repentant of sin, take warning. Do not just give in. It dishonors Jesus and it dishonors God. Okay. Well, Jesus keeps us safe. He can do that. All right. Then the fifth point I wanted to make is there's the sin that leads to death passage. So this is a confusing part, and I, I would not want to make a big deal about this part because um, in general, I agree with uh, what Alistair Begg says so often. He says, make the, main, the plain things the main things. So the plain things about the Bible, I don't say it with a cool accent like he does, but um, the plain things in the Bible are the main things. So when you come across a passage of Scripture that's not real clear and is sort of isolated, then you need to not get a, all frustrated about it because it's not a main point necessarily anyway. So it's kind of, this is one of those texts where it's hard to figure out what the uh, author is saying, and there's a, a wide variety of possibilities uh, that I've been reading about, and there's not any clear-cut Conclusion. So here, let me read the text for you in its entirety. Chapter 5, verse 14 to 18. But it's about sin. It says, And it starts out with talking about how prayer works. He says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Right? That's true. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. God is, when you ask according to his will, you can know that God is in on it and helping you. All right. Now, if you see 
any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. And so John is saying, if you see another person, a brother or sister, sin, pray for them. But if it's a sin that doesn't lead to death, so there's this qualifier, the sin that leads unto death. What is that all about? So there, and then John goes on, he says, there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that one. All wrongdoing is sin. Don't be confused theologically. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. So everything we do wrong is sinful, but there's some sins that lead to death, or some sin, and other sin that does not lead to death, and we're supposed to pray for one another in one of those contexts and not the other. Okay? We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. So we've already read that earlier, but this is in the context of this sin that uh, unto death. So those are all the verses in context. Okay, So the sin that leads to death, what does this mean? Well, let me just point out a few things that it depends on what you mean by these other words. First of all, the brother or sister. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin, the brother or sister could mean a brother in Christ, right? A brother, another believer. So if you see a believer sin, you should pray for them or not. But it doesn't have to mean a believer because elsewhere, like in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, if anyone hates his brother, he's not in God. So how could a, the, the term brother can be another human being because we have clear evidences where sometimes the term is used of a person who's clearly not a believer, Right? So brother in this could mean any other person. So if you see another person commit a sin that does not lead to death, it could be a believer. And if it is a believer, then that means something about how you interpret this. But if it's an unbeliever, that also would have implications for how it interprets it. So the first thing I'd want to ask John is, John, did you mean unbelievers or believers? I don't know for sure, but that's one possibility. The next question is, is does not lead to death? Which way are you using the word death here? Because sometimes Jesus uses, John uses the word sickness unto death as a way of describing physical death. You remember the story of Lazarus and the resurrection and, and Jesus um, delays, you know, the sisters uh, want Jesus to come because Lazarus is sick and Jesus delays and he tells his disciples, this sickness will not lead to death. It won't end in death. And then he goes to Lazarus, and sure enough, Lazarus is dead. So what did, John, what did Jesus mean? And John's using the same phrase. What did he mean? Was he talking about, well, he didn't mean it ended in death, death, because he was going to raise him from the dead. So maybe the death is talking about temporal death, like death on this planet. So if you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death here, then you should pray for them, right? But if it's, or is he talking about the death of eternal death? Is the sin the kind of death that would lead you to uh, hell? So that's another question I'd want to ask John. Did you mean dying here? Like, uh, like Hebrews says that sometimes God could even take us off the shelf kind of if we're continuing sin. He, he might bring about a just punishment here on this earth. Remember, if people participate in the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, they can be sick or even die from that, right? So it could be that, or it could be that you're never going to be saved and you're going to go to hell. And then the other question is, you should pray and God will give them life. Are you talking about not having them die? 
or having them, are you talking about having them experience the power of eternal life even now? Or are you talking about eternal life? Those are, again, I wish I knew what John was saying. And so there's, from those one, two, three, each with two to three options, I don't know how that multiplies, but we've already got like, you know, three times three times three options of where we could wind up interpreting this passage. So I'm just going to spare us from all the possibilities and just say, I think it's the same tension that there is for ourselves, right? The tension is you're supposed to confess your sins and that leads to life, but you're also supposed to not continue in sin. And so just like I am, yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm just going to say no to sin. But I'm never going to be not a sinner, but I'm going to still say no to sin. It's a tension, right? I need to give my life to Jesus, but I also need to understand I'm never going to be perfect here. And I think the same thing is being said here in the community. There's people around us that are sinning, and we need to pray for them. But if they're in a continuing to sin pattern, if they're in a pattern that's going to lead to death, then the prayer may not make a difference because they're being rebellious. So I, I don't know exactly what it means, but that was my best attempt to point out to you that we don't know everything, right? But the main things are the plain things. Okay, did anybody text me today? Oh, I got a couple. Um, someone says, Romans 6.1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And this verse goes along with today's message, right? Shall we continue in sin? We're sinners. Shall we continue in sin? What does Paul say? God forbid, right? We've been freed from sin. Good job. That's a good verse that supports the points we're making today. And then uh, here's another one. Oh, yeah, these are some good verses. Uh, the phrase that Peter uses that I think he quotes from Proverbs, um, if you keep on sinning, it's like a dog returning to his vomit, right? That whole, a person who returns to sin, we've been saved, we've been victorious over sin, and when we sin, it's like, we, it's like a dog which returns to his vomit. And so the good question is, how do we stop the cycle of sin? How do we stop the habits of sin in our life? Man, we could, we could spend an hour talking about that, right? We could spend hours, we could spend a lifetime learning how to yield ourselves to Jesus. All I know is that the more I love Jesus, the more his spirit makes me understand what he did for me, my new love for Jesus takes away my love for myself and my sinful desires. The new affection. It's not always don't, don't, don't. It's how much better is Jesus. Paul says you put to death the deeds of the body and you put on righteousness. It's, the Christian life is not always getting rid of getting rid of bad habits. It's replacing them with positive, good habits. Studying God's word and loving Jesus. That's the power, I think uh, somebody has said it before, the power of a new affection. Who you love, who you value, changes everything. Well, that's a good way to close. And um, let me close in prayer and then we'll sing our song. And you guys get extra cookies because you stayed late. Alright, how's that? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your amazing grace that, that you have figured out a way for us who were justly punished for our sins and, 
and we deserved eternal punishment, you figured out a way for Jesus to take that punishment for us. And you are somehow pleased by our struggle in these days. It, it shows how great you are that you forgive us and yet change us at the same time. What a, what a, only you could get glory like that. And you've somehow decided to do that in a way that's so beautiful for us. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we sing our closing song.